Um, we're going to be ranging around a little bit of Ecclesiastes. This is the last um, week we're in this Old Testament book. We're going to try and do a bit of an overview. Next week, um, if we're still meeting here, um, we are going to be beginning a new sermon series looking at the last words of Jesus on the cross as we lead into the Easter season. But we've been working through this book of Ecclesiastes, as John said, actually since the very beginning of January, quite a while now. As we prepare to leave this book of Ecclesiastes, it's always helpful to think, what have we learnt from this bit of the Bible? What does this bit of the Bible have to say to us that will help us love God more and live for Him in this world? Because whenever we begin or end a book, that's a really good question to ask. Why is this book in the Bible? Because the Bible is made up of 66 different books with different distinctive messages, each one of them shedding a little bit of light on the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the same throughout the Bible, but each book and every writer kind of looks at it at a slightly different angle. So how does the message of this book of Ecclesiastes show us the God Christians trust in and help us to live as his people in this world? And I'm hoping we can help each other answer that question this morning. So where we're going is... First of all, I'm going to try and summarize some of the key messages of the book we've looked at the last couple of months. And then I'm going to look at the conclusion that's just been read to us by Ethan and think what that's to say to us. Then there's going to be a bit of time just to share with each other. So we're going to have a bit of time for questions, comments. Um, we did this a few weeks ago, but again, it's really helpful. At Avenue, we believe that, that God speaks to us through his word and he speaks to all of us. So actually, as all of us hear his voice in his word, we can help each other understand more of who God is and what the message of Ecclesiastes is. And then finally, we're going to link the wisdom of the teacher to the wisdom of Jesus as we head towards the Lord's Supper. So hopefully that's clear, and we'll get started. Um, back in January, when we started this book of Ecclesiastes, we acknowledged right from the start, it can be a difficult book to understand. It's a book that maybe is there in our Bibles. We don't quite know what to do with it. it doesn't always seem to be a clear structure to the book. The teacher covers a lot of ground. The teacher is this main speaker in the book. And he insists on saying really difficult things that make us really uncomfortable a lot of the time. And in the conclusion of the book that Ethan just read, actually, we learn that that's completely deliberate. If I can get this working. I'll turn it off. And I'll turn it back on again. Lovely. Thanks, Jack. It is completely deliberate that we find the message of Ecclesiastes uncomfortable. He said, the writer says this, the words of the wise are like goads, not goats, goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. A goad is a staff with sharp nails embedded in it that an ancient farmer would use to keep animals on the straight path. If you're driving oxen or even sheep and they're straying off somewhere dangerous, you would use the goad and that animal would learn very quickly to correct the way it's going. A goad is something painful. And one of the purposes of this book, the conclusion tells us, is actually to cause us pain. It's written to wake us up to the dangers of living foolishly. The dangers of trusting in what this world has to offer rather than trusting in the God who made the world. And if you've been here the last few months at all, you'll know something of what that feels like. The teacher, teacher's words are uncomfortable. He's determined to sweep away the illusions we hold on to in this world. Illusions like, I'm in control of my life. Illusions like, well, I understand everything that's going on around me. Illusions like, there's things in this world that are just really could save me, 
could satisfy me, that I'm going to live forever. Those are illusions, says the teacher, and he's determined to sweep them away in this book with his real refrain over and over again. Jack, I need you for this. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or another translation is the merest of breaths. The merest of breaths. Everything is a breath. Nothing lasts in this world, the teacher says. And therefore, nothing in this world can ultimately save you or satisfy you in your life. Everything in this world is like a breath. It's a, it's a wisp of vapor. It's a puff of wind. You can't get your hands on it. You can't capture it, and you cannot control it. It's a breath. And it's against that background that we've seen the message of this book of Ecclesiastes. Life is short. It's a breath. So live it well. And living well, that's another way of describing what the Bible calls wisdom. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. So what does wisdom living well look like in this book? Well, let me just give a real sort of edited highlights of what we've looked at so far. The opening chapters of the book, really, I think the big thing the teacher wants to say is don't expect too much from life in this fallen world. Okay, so in the opening chapters, the teacher tells us he has experienced everything the world has to offer. He has had enormous wealth. He studied, accumulated great knowledge. He worked hard, achieved great success. He pursued pleasure and all that could give him. And at the end of it all, chapter 2, verse 11, he says this. Chapter 2, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hand had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was a breath, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He says, don't expect too much from life in a fallen world. And then chapter 3, he moves on to tell us, trust God for the times you don't understand. That's chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Basically what the teacher says in chapter 3 is life is complex. There's loads of different seasons, a time to be born, a time to die, and everything in between. And we cannot hope to understand everything that happens in our life or every season of life that we go through. And again, I think it's such a powerful message for us today in such an uncertain and fearful time that we're living in. In the face of the coronavirus, what will happen to me? What will happen to people I love? When will this all be over? When can life go back to the way it was, can it? We just can't answer those questions. We aren't in control of the times we're living in. We can't predict the future, and that makes us uncomfortable. But actually, you read chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, and the teacher actually has words of comfort for us. He says, we might not be in control, but God is in control. Unlike us, God can see the big picture, and he is perfectly loving the rest of Scripture tells us he invites us to draw near to him and to learn what it means to trust him in seasons that we don't quite know how they're going to turn out. Again, and it's funny because the teacher, his bedside manner is pretty bad. He's not a very comforting guy, really. He's not someone you go to, maybe feel a bit better about myself, teacher. Well, your life's a breath, you're going to die anyway. He doesn't sound comforting, but actually in chapter 3, verse 11, he's got this amazing word of comfort. God has made everything beautiful in its time. There's encouragement here. God isn't overwhelmed 
by the things that overwhelm us. And as a result, we can trust him with the times we are living in. And in this, the teacher echoes the words of the psalmist. Psalm 46 is a psalm I've been going to a lot the last few days. Just astonishing words here. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The picture there is just lots of things chaotically out of our control. And the psalmist goes, but God is our refuge and our strength. We can trust him with the seasons we don't understand. God will make everything beautiful in its time, says the teacher. And then still sprinting through the book here, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The, the message really there we got was, was actually to live well, we need to share life with one another. Sometimes we can think of, of wisdom as sort of a hermit living in the desert up a big pole or something, or just someone who's very bright, who just stays away from other people because they're not quite up to speed and they just live wisely. Actually, no, says the teacher. You need to share life with other people. You, you cannot do life on your own. Chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Share life with each other, says the teacher. That is the way of wisdom. And then a real sort of whistle stop through the last few chapters. So much we could say, but I'm going to summarize with words we looked at last week. Remember God, says the teacher, and enjoy his gifts. Chapter 9, verses 7. Go eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this breathy life that God has given you under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Remember God, says the teacher, and enjoy his gifts. Remember him in this world. Remember him, get to know him before it's too late, he says. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, chapter 12. And once it's the days of your youth, is there any time before you die? Remember him before it's too late. That's an attempt to summarize where we've been to in this book. But actually, in one sense, I kind of didn't have to do any of that because this conclusion that Ethan just read attempts to do it anyway. Um, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The writer of this conclusion says, thank you, Jack. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now in this bit, the speaker isn't the teacher anymore. The teacher kind of stopped speaking in verse 8 of chapter 12. So this is someone who's gathered the teacher's words together to teach his son. Look at verse 12. He's talking to his son here. And we don't know who the person is who gathered the teacher's word together. But basically what he says, he gives the teacher's words a massive thumbs up. He says, my son, let me pull everything together in the book for you to say, the teacher's a wise man. You need to listen to him. And here's what he says to us. Fear God, keep his commandments, for God will bring every deed into judgment. Thinking those through then, as we leave this book, the conclusion of the matter, fear God above anything 
and anyone else. Why does he say that? Because the teacher knows who he's writing to. He knows we are all tempted to put our trust in different gods that the world around us offers us. Those gods are things like knowledge, like money, like family, like pleasure, like success, like a career, like relationships, like our health. We are all tempted to worship these things other than God. And the teacher at the end of this book has been able to say, I've explored all these things. Every one of those false gods are explored in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the teacher tells us every single one of them will let you down. I have looked at all of them and they're all wanting. Every single God you trust in, other than the God who made you, will fail you. So how should we live in the world where nothing lasts? Fear God above anything and anyone else, says the teacher. Worship him. Put your trust in him. Draw near to him. Depend on him. Everything else is a breath, but God is steadfast, eternal, and utterly faithful. So fear him, says the writer. I can fear him because life isn't all about you, because you're not the center of the universe, despite the fact we always think we are. Actually, life is about God, and therefore draw near to him, humble yourself before him. Go, I don't understand what's going on, Lord, but I need you. I need to know you're with me. Even more than I need to know the answers, I need to know that you're good and that you're loving. Fear God above anything and anyone else. The, the church father and Saint, Saint Augustine said this. He said, you made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. The teacher had been saying that throughout Ecclesiastes. I tried it all, he said. Doesn't work. Fear God above anything or anyone else. And then secondly, the thing we take away from Ecclesiastes, keep his commandments in order to live well in this world. That keeping his commandments, but it seems very, well, just do this, don't do that. But actually, this is the way of wisdom, says the teacher and the person summarizing the teacher's words. And again, wisdom, we need to be clear, it's not intelligence, it's not having a high IQ, it's not a first-class education. Wisdom is about living well in God's world. And to do that, we need to listen to the words of the wise recorded for us in God's word. Look down again at verse 10. The words of the wise are given to us by one shepherd, the living God. The Lord is my shepherd, says the psalmist. He is the shepherd. He speaks into our lives, and we're called to listen to him. If you remember chapter 5, of Ecclesiastes, the teacher urges us, you stop worshiping false gods, go near to the living God and listen to him. Chapter five, verse one, guard your steps when you go to the house of God, go near to listen. God is a speaking God. He's got things to say to us if we would only listen. So our response must be to listen to him and to ask him to change us in the light of what we have heard from him. Again, the New Testament writer James puts it like this. He says, do not merely listen to his word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Again, I don't know 
where you are this morning, maybe you are really questioning a lot of what you believe. Maybe in the light of world events, maybe for other reasons. I want to say that the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he's a man who knows what it means to question and to doubt things. Doubt itself is not always a bad thing. It can force us to a deeper relationship with God. But what the teacher says at the end of this book is that when you have those questions and, you doubt, and, and those doubts, they are never an excuse for disobeying God. I can think of friends who've had big questions, big doubts, and basically after a while they go, well, then I'm just going to do this because I want to do it. I'm not sure if God's really there. I'm not sure if God's really good. I'm just going to go and do this. And of course, surprise, surprise, their doubts grew and grew until they rejected the living God. The teacher says, question, keep your questions, ask your questions, but also keep his commandments as you ask those questions. Stay close to him. If you're going to live well in this world, you need to stay close to the God of wisdom and to draw near to him. And then the final thing we see in this book of Ecclesiastes, know that everything we do matters to God. So live for him. That's verse 14. He says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. It's, it's been striking, actually. God's judgment has been one of the main themes of this book. I, I didn't expect that. I kind of thought, you're meaningless. I didn't see the judgment stuff coming, but it's kept on coming back. And throughout the book, actually, the teachers wanted to say, the fact that God is a God who judges is one of the best things about him. And we might think, well, no, no, we kind of get embarrassed or uncomfortable about God judging. We say, I just wish God was just a bit more loving. He wouldn't judge people. If he didn't judge people, I'd be less scared of him. But the teacher says, no, you don't get it. Some of the best things about God is that he's a God who judges. He's a God of justice, and he's a God who cares about everything that happens in our lives. You see, if God didn't judge, if God didn't care, then actually everything we do would be pretty pointless. might even be meaningless. But actually, God does judge. And that means everything we do has meaning. That means he cares about the details of your life that maybe no one else sees. But it matters to God. Every deed, says the writer of Ecclesiastes, matters to him. The good news of God's judgment means that evil will one day be punished. Again, Ecclesiastes is a book very aware of the evils in this world. Chapter 8, verse 12. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. The teacher goes, you might see people getting away with it on the global stage, in, in your family, in your working relationship. They're just getting away with it. But the, but the teacher says, no, they won't get away with it forever. God is a God of justice, and there is comfort for us here. But also just for every aspect of our lives, it means that what we do matters. Nothing is pointless. One of the challenges we face in life sometimes is we kind of think, why am I doing this again? Going to the shops again? Mowing the lawn again? Listening to people again? You're kind of, why am I doing this? It's not pointless. It's not in vain, says the teacher. So work hard at the job God has given you. Work hard at school and university. Look after the people God has placed around you. Rest well with the gifts God gives you because that matters to God. He cares about that detail. 
So love other people. Listen to that friend who's finding life hard. Support that colleague at work in what they're doing. Speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves. Because God cares about those things. Every deed we do for him is it's never in vain. It matters. Everything we do matters to God. So Ecclesiastes tells us, live the whole of your lives for him. Worship him with everything that you are and everything that you have. That's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, know that everything we do matters to him. So just for the next couple of minutes then, I'm going to ask you to take a bit of time to reflect together on what we've learnt from the book. Again, we did a bit of this a few weeks ago, but it's helpful to do it at the end of the series. So either on your own or turn to someone near you, but just take a few minutes and just go, if you've been here, now if you've not been here, see a few visitors here, don't worry, um, just think what stood out for you from this bit. But, um, but you know, and if, if you're with someone who hasn't been here much, maybe try and summarize a bit, like I tried to. But what has stood out for you from this book of Ecclesiastes? What questions do you have? And then I guess that third question, how does Ecclesiastes help us grow in our love for God and live well for him in this world? Just take a couple of minutes to just think about that either on your own or talk to someone near you and then we'll come back together and we'll just talk about that a bit together before we move on heading towards Lord's Supper. Go for it.